Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving Live. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. That's 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now... Let's get this show on the road. Hi there, and welcome to the program. Today we're going to spend a little bit of time going over the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, something I've talked a little bit about on the program, but today we're going to practice. Something people sometimes have trouble with is making sure that the unsolved problems that they are recording in the unsolved problems section of the ALSEP are specific enough um, to actually propel them into the collaborative solving of those unsolved problems. Uh, so we're going to spend some time on the ALSIPs, and then we're going to take some calls as well. Um, you got the number, 646-727-2691. Uh, these are your 45 minutes, so if you're working with a student who's not responding very well to Plan B or running into trouble using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, that you're going to get some help with today, or having difficulty getting your colleagues at school to buy in, this is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. So the number is 646-727-2691, and if you are not especially comfortable calling in, you can always send a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. So I know we are we, we are going to be joined by a teacher who had a question uh, for today um, in just a few minutes after we get through going over some of these ALSIPs. Um, and I'm seeing that she has called in already. So we're going to ask her to hang in there for about 10 minutes, as forewarned. And let's spend a little time looking at the ALSIP. And, you know, I got this email recently um, that I thought I would read part of. It reminds us of why we're doing this, why we are um, focusing on kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges, why we're trying to get good at using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, why we're trying to get good at collaborative problem solving. This is a very nice email from uh, Someone's saying, I want to thank you for all the wonderful advocacy work you do on behalf of children with behavioral challenges, Uh, but then they go on. These children are the lepers of the educational system. They have few, if any, champions to take up their cause. Their parents are stigmatized. The disrespect these parents are often subjected to by education officials is shocking. This is written, by the way, by an educator. Because of the shame they feel, they rarely challenge the atrocious treatment they and their children receive as clients of the public education system. I feel great empathy and sorrow for these children and their families. Well, that's not meant to be an indictment of all educators or all education systems, by the way, but it does remind us, um, disturbing as the imagery might be, that these are 
our high-risk kids. These are the kids who are often lost at school, and um, they need to be a really high priority. As for um, the fact that there aren't many advocacy groups standing up for these kids, well, uh, Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization that I founded recently, uh, is intended to be exactly that, and wait till you see what's coming down the pike. But let's stick with our agenda. Uh, I'm gonna. I've received some uh, consulting with the school system, and um, they gave me some ALSOPs that they wanted me to take a closer look at. Some completed ALSOPs, um, and one of the main reasons, one of the main things that I used the ALSOP for was to point out to people which of the things they had written in in the unsolved problems section were specific enough, and which weren't. And as I've been saying lately, what we're looking for here is actionable information, information that actually propels us into Plan B. So um, let me read a few of these to you. Uh, here's an unsolved problem that probably is close to being specific enough, being touched by another person. I think I'd want to fill in a little bit more details there. And by the way, the ultimate litmus test here, is what the unsolved problem is going to sound like when we drop it into the initial part of the empathy step of Plan B. As you know, if you've listened to some of the other programs or if you've been doing Plan B, the empathy step starts with the words, I've noticed that. And then what we're doing is we're plucking a high-priority unsolved problem from our list of unsolved problems, one, two, three high-priority unsolved problems, and we are dropping it into the sentence. And then we're finishing with what's up. And if we are not specific enough in the unsolved problems we've written in in the unsolved problems section, then uh, the empathy step can a the beginning of the empathy step can actually sound rather comical. The empathy step is supposed to start with this neutral observation. So I've noticed that um, being touched by another person seems hard for you. What's up? I would say that we could be a little bit more specific than that. We might want to say who is doing the touching that seems most objectionable, um, whether the touching is bumping or what exactly is going on there. But I would say that that one is close to being specific enough. Here's one that may not be. Being sensitive to expectations being placed on him by others. I've noticed that sometimes it's hard for you to deal with expectations being placed on you by others. What's up? Uh, what you'll find if you're doing this neutral observation as the beginning of the empathy step is that if you're not specific enough, then you greatly heighten the likelihood of getting no information whatsoever, either having the kid say, I don't know, or having the kid shrug or say nothing at all. And I would say that in many instances, the vague ones often simply need a specific example attached to them. I've noticed that when we are expecting you to read out loud in your reading group, that's very hard for you. Now, that is a very specific unsolved problem. So what I've just done is I've taken something that is rather vague, and I've made it much more specific. The question often comes up, so should we start vague or specific? And I tend to default into the specific because I think that if you're too vague, the kid's not going to be able to sink his teeth into what you're asking and um, you're not going to get any information. 
But I, th- I think if you start specific, even if you're really thinking that you're looking for information on something more broad, often you'll get the broad information by starting specific, but you won't get any information by starting too broad. All right, so let's take some others here. From This is another ALSIP completed on a kid, fourth grader. Here's one that, well, I'm going to throw this one out at you. And in your own mind, let's think, too vague or specific enough? Responding to adult requests and directions. If you said too vague, you're right. Now let's see what that would sound like in the neutral observation of the empathy step. I've noticed that you have difficulty responding to adult requests and directions. What's up? I think you're going to get a shrug. I think you're going to get an I don't know. I think we want to get much more specific with a specific request or a specific direction that we're finding that the kid is having difficulty responding to. Okay, once again, now this is the vaguer specific quiz. Here's another one. Volatile temper. If you said too vague, you're right. Here's what it would sound like in the neutral observation of the empathy step. I've noticed that you have a volatile temper. What's up? Almost a guaranteed shrug or silence or I don't know or defensiveness. We'd want to insert a specific situation in which the kid has a volatile temper. And first of all, then we'd probably stop saying he has a volatile temper, by the way. We'd probably just recognize that he gets very frustrated under certain very specific conditions. Let me give you an example of much more specific. I've noticed that when you have your hand raised during a class discussion and I don't call on you, that seems to upset you very much. What's up? Much better chance of getting good information. Much better chance of getting the drilling ball rolling. Keep going. People tell me that when I do this, this is helpful. I'm going to move on to a different one. Um, Here's one that I'll just throw at you. You, you. you make the call. Too vague or specific enough? Sense of injustice. If you guess too vague, you'd be right. Let's think. What would be more specific? Well, first of all, let's think of how that vague one would sound in the empathy step. I've noticed the uh, neutral observation of the empathy step. I've noticed that you have a strong sense of injustice. What's up? I think it's possible the kid, depending on the kid's age, won't have the slightest idea what you're even talking about. I've noticed out at, let's go more specific, I've noticed that um, when you see one of your classmates being teased by another one of your classmates, um, that's very frustrating for you, and you tend to want to defend the classmate who's being teased. What's up? Much more specific. Okay, let's keep going. Too vague or specific enough? Rigidity in thinking. These are actually written on some ALSIPs, and this is not me. Once again, by no means is this me being critical or judgmental. This is me just taking examples from real-life ALSIPs that were filled out on real kids 
and trying to help the information that's in the unsolved problem section be actionable information so that it's as productive as possible. And, of course, rigidity in thinking is too vague. would want to go with something much more specific than that. Um, let's think. And I'm, I'm making these up as I go along, by the way. I've noticed that when we don't line up for lunch at exactly 11.45, that's very hard for you. What's up? Now, that's a specific example of rigidity in thinking. I think the kid's going to be able to sink his teeth into that one. And I'm betting he has some specific concerns or a specific perspective on why lining up for lunch after 11.45 would be a problem for him, an unsolved problem. And now, because we've been specific enough with the neutral observation of the empathy step, we actually have a significantly better chance of getting the information we're looking for. All right, here's another. Low frustration tolerance paired with perfectionist tendencies. Now, I'm not going to take you all the way through what that would sound like in the neutral observation of the empathy step, but it's too vague. We'd want to be much more specific. Um, I've noticed that when... Um, you don't finish all the problems on our timed math quizzes. That's very upsetting for you, and sometimes you crumple up your paper. What's up? Much more specific. That's going to propel us into the information gathering and drilling for information phase of the empathy step. Um, poor impulse control when under stress or anxiety. Too vague. Need for instant attention from teacher or friends. Too vague. We'd want a specific example on that and the one before it. Complying with a direction that student does not agree with or understand the reason for. Too vague. We'd want a specific example on that one as well. I mean, just not to beat a dead horse, let me um, just go with further with a few more of these. I've highlighted some of these just to make the uh, point. All right. Too specific, uh, specific enough or too vague? Ready? Writing, but let me go on. Topic generation, organizing ideas, handwriting. Now that's pretty specific. I wouldn't throw all those at him in the same neutral observation, but now we're specific. Notice that when we're doing uh, writing assignments in class, the handwriting part is very hard for you. What's up? Good. That was a very specific one. See, they're not all so vague. We've got some good example of some specific ones as well. Um, difficulty during social time, that alone would be too vague, but this uh, classroom teacher wrote in some very specific things. Morning meeting. Good. That's an unsolved problem. Choice time. Unsolved problem. Transitions. Probably not specific enough. Lunch. Probably specific enough. Recess. Probably specific enough. Specials, probably not specific enough. Same teacher, same kid, a little bit more vague. Can go overboard but does not see when he has done so. Um, probably too vague. Probably would need a specific example on that one. Okay, just a few more. And then we're going to take our caller who's um, calling about a specific problem in the classroom. Some other examples of too vague, unstructured time, too vague. These are straight from the unsolved problems section of the ALSIP uh, filled out on this student. 
expectation of work completion too vague, certain peers too vague, would want to be specific on all of these. Social interactions, way too vague. Being put on the spot. Now, that's more specific, but my bet is not specific enough. Oh, this one's pretty specific. Amount of sleep impacts his outcomes. I wouldn't say it exactly that way in the neutral observation, but we could say something like, I've noticed that on days when you tell me you haven't had enough sleep, those tend to be days where it's harder for you to get work done. What's up? More specific. All right. I hope that those are helpful with at least one part of getting the empathy step rolling. Um, I've been talking much more about what's involved in the drilling phase lately. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that in future programs as well. But um, here's what you want to be asking yourself in the drilling phase, drilling for information phase of the empathy step. After you've put a highly specific unsolved problem on the table with the neutral observation, which we just practiced, the first thing the kid says, if he does say something, probably isn't specific enough for you to have a clear sense of his concern or perspective. So you're going to want to drill a little. What are you thinking during the drilling? What don't I yet understand about this kid's concern or perspective? What don't I understand about what he's saying? And therefore, what do I need to ask next so I understand it better? And how do I want to phrase what I'm about to ask next so that it stays neutral and is has the greatest likelihood of helping me get the information I'm looking for? I think that's what you're thinking during the drilling for information phase. Once again, what you're not thinking about is solutions. You want to put those out of your mind. Those are not until the third ingredient of plan B, and the main reason for that is, number one, at a very pragmatic level, hard to think of solutions until the concerns of both parties are on the table, but number two, also pragmatically, very hard to think of what you don't yet understand about what the kid's concern or perspective might be if you're already thinking about solutions. I would experience that as a very difficult way to divide thinking you don't want to have to divide thinking. You don't want to be thinking about solutions until the third ingredient, the invitation, the brainstorming phase of Plan B. We have a caller who I um, knew was going to be calling in, so let's put her on the air uh, from area code 213. You're now on the air. How are you? Hi. I'm good. I'm. You're explaining a lot of things that I see I wasn't doing right. <laughs> wow. And it wasn't just for you. A lot of people are having trouble with that. But I, I know from some of the information you gave me before uh, you called in, uh, that was certainly one of the things that I thought might be interfering. But maybe you could give the other people who are listening, either live or um, who will be listening to it uh, after we record this program, uh, give a general sense about what you're calling in about today. Well, um we could take this on different levels. We could talk about a whole class situation or part of the students in a class or one individual at a time in the class. What level should I approach this with? Well, here's the interesting thing, and I know that this was an issue for you uh, just because of some of the things that you wrote me. I think this is a good point 
for a lot of uh, people who are classroom teachers and are contemplating, should I be trying to solve this problem as an entire group, or should I be trying to solve this problem one kid at a time? And um, I can't say that I have a great algorithm for you, although I have a general algorithm. If an unsolved problem truly affects almost all members of the group, that usually is grist for the full group Plan B mill. And we haven't talked at all about full group Plan B on this program, so we, we could certainly do that. If an unsolved problem affects one student primarily, or interactions between one or two or three, um, as a general rule, and I'm, I'm not sure that I'd be religious about this, but as a general rule, that sounds more like Plan B that would be done with one or two or three students rather than the group as a whole. So what I'm often saying to people is think about the unsolved problems that you want to work on. Are there any that it would make more sense to work on them as a group than as individuals? Does that help? Yes. Tell me. Um, well, go ahead. I'm going to go with the whole class plan B because um, although I do have a few students who don't need plan B because they do their work and they just accept what we give them, I would say the majority of the students are struggling. Want to tell us a little bit about your classroom because it's not necessarily a general ed classroom. Right. This is... Um, and relatively no names and no locations. People know your area code 213, but that's all they know. Okay. So this is an um, intervention class for students whose uh, reading and literacy um, decoding and comprehension is about three years or more below grade level. So it's a combination of some special education and some general education English language learners. Um, and it's a small group, about 16, 17. Good. And it sounds like there are some problems that affect, some unsolved problems that affect almost the entire group. Yes. Let's hear about some of them. Um, transitions are difficult, um, and since the program requires frequent transitions, um, Every time we transition, it feels like we have to get everybody's attention all over again. So the kids get distracted when we do a transition from the beginning of the first hour because it's a two-hour class. So even coming in from lunch, we already have noise and um, you know hanging out and um, Talking. How old are these kids, by the way? Not that it usually matters, but what age range are we talking about? We're talking between, well, probably 13, 14. Got it. So I'm, I'm making my mental list of unsolved problems. Ready? Yeah. Um, we're not going to run with transitions in general because they may not know what we're talking about. We may have to take these one at a time. And you've just named one highly specific transition that is problematic coming into the room from lunch, it sounds like? Mm, yes. Got it. So that's a much more specific transition. Uh, if we said to the whole class, class, I've noticed that we have trouble making transitions, that's a discussion that has lower odds of going somewhere than class, I've noticed that when we come back in from lunch, or not back in, or is this after lunch is when they're with you for the first time? Yes. Got it. 
I've noticed that when you all come in from lunch, um, it's very hard sometimes to settle down what's up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, once again, true to the first theme of today's program, um, we want to start as specific as possible. Right. Okay. Okay, that sounds good. Good. Any other transitions that are, and, you know, that, that actually does sound like a very good full group plan B unsolved problem. Right, and I think that if we could solve that problem to start with, then we would start the two hours um, at least focused on what our agenda is for the day, if I could get their attention, and then I could view, I could give them a, an overview of what we're doing and what we expect and, you know, and, and when there are going to be transitions so that they can anticipate that. And that would go down as your concern. Mm-hmm. That's, um, and that's a, you know, we don't know what the kids' concerns are yet, but right. we know what yours is. Um, <laughs> and I, I like that much better than, you know, some people would be vague about that. Um, and they might say, um, we're not going to get any work done, or um, you just got to get down to work faster, or it'd be better if you did it. And those are usually too vague as the adult concerns. Right. So now we're practicing being very specific on both sets of concerns. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, fair warning here. Does your class know how to have a full class discussion? Do they know how to, and I know this may sound like an odd thing to, to say about 13 or 14-year-olds, but not in my experience. Do they know how to take turns listening to each other? I Do don't they think know, so. What's that? I don't think so. Then here's what I've seen many people sort of um, go into Plan B with great expectations about getting a problem solved. And while I wouldn't have a major problem with someone going into Plan B with an individual student, because um, the the Plan B discussion is not quite so difficult to manage when it's an adult and a kid. Mm If you've got 16 or 17 kids in your class, watch Plan B turn into utter chaos unless there's some advance... um, discussion of having discussions, okay. turn-taking, um, listening to each other, um, probably a sense of what it is that we're trying to accomplish here. Um, and turn-taking can, can take a while to practice. And some there are some kids who will just go on and on and on. And so you may actually want to have your first discussion be about discussing rather than having your first discussion be about difficulty coming back into the class from lunch. Okay. Um, I think a discussion about discussing would serve you well before you try to have a discussion about coming back in from lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would make that second discussion much more productive. Okay. And would I approach that as an unsolved problem? Um, not sure that you'd have to be as formal about that. Think that you just want to have a discussion about discussing, because there's some things that you were hoping that the class could discuss and resolve, but you want to talk about. Um, the, the reason I would have he- hesitation calling it an unsolved problem yet is if you haven't necessarily tried to have discussions yet, 
then it's not a solved or unsolved problem yet. It's not something that they've had the opportunity to do. If you've noticed that class discussions tend to go downhill fast, Mm -hmm. then it would certainly count as an unsolved problem. And then it would start with, I've noticed that um, when we try to have discussions, it sometimes doesn't go so well. And I thought maybe we could try to figure out why and then see if we could come up with some solutions so that our discussions would be better. Okay. Make sense? Yes. I would start with that because I I could say that it's very difficult to get everybody focused together and listening and sharing individually um, in that class, even though it's a small class. Well, and there's people who, I would say a discussion among 16 or 17 people, just people, Mm -hmm. even people with well-practiced discussion skills, wouldn't be a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. True. And and I, uh, 16 or 17, 13 or 14 year olds um, could be uh, quite the adventure until they start to feel like um, they've got some discussion skills down pat. Right. Okay. So, I mean, this is the reason I called it fair warning is that I think a lot of people jump into plan B with a full group without necessarily having given a great deal of thought to what it would take for that group to have that discussion. And so that's usually a much better place to start. I agree. Let's turn. Let, let's keep talking about some of the other. Uh, are there other uh, unsolved problems that you thought you'd want the entire group to tackle? There's a lot of socializing going on, side conversations, and, I, and while I appreciate that they enjoy spending time together, and I give every opportunity that I can for them to. Um, be with their friends, um, being with their friends and talking about side issues is, is, is not helping us to get their skills up. So I would say that's another side problem. It's socializing and hanging out uh, versus, you know, doing the work that's expected of them. Got it. So I'd be intrigued to hear their concern or perspective on that. And, of course, the more jaded listener may be thinking, well, they're just being kids. They don't even want to do their work. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't jump the gun so quickly on that, although there may be an ingredient of truth to that premise. Um, this is the empathy step. Um, we're going to get the kids' concern or perspective on the table, and that's going to make it much easier for us to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, if we If we ran with they're just kids and didn't spend any time in the empathy step, then that's actually a problem we'd have a great deal of difficulty solving because I don't know that they're not going to be kids anytime soon if they're 13 or 14 years old. So we'd want to get much more specific about that. Um, And it might be that they would say, we don't mind the work, but we do want to be able to talk with each other sometimes too. Now here's the cool part. Based on the little that you've said, um, it sounds like there might actually be some common ground there since you're okay with them socializing, but not to the point that it's interfering with work completion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just me talking about that and me um, hypothesizing about what the concerns of both parties would be starts to set the stage for that to be a much more solvable problem mm-hmm. um, than them just being kids who aren't getting any work done. That, that, right. that, you know, that wouldn't lend itself to a collaborative resolution. Mm-hmm. What else you got? Uh, these sound like outstanding, full group unsolved problems that you are throwing out there. These are these sound like perfect for the full group Plan B mill. 
Okay, I have another one which is very specific. Go ahead. Um, they are asking to use the restroom throughout the two hours, and sometimes there could be everybody going in and out to use the restroom, and we, we can't teach the class if they're, you know, if they're doing that, you know, coming and going, and everybody's, you know, asking to use the restroom and losing time, and so the restroom breaks are, are a problem. I love it. These are these are outstanding. I mean, you don't love it because you de- got to deal with it, but uh, as it relates to the litmus test of is that a great discussion to have with the full group, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, if those are your top three, um, you've got some advanced preparation work to do to have the discussion with the entire group, and you have three outstanding, highly specific, unsolved problems that you'd like the group to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. This group, what's your anticipation about, once some basic ideas about how to have a discussion are covered, um, do you, can you imagine what this discussion is going to be like, and are there any things that you want to prepare for in advance um, so that any problems that you're anticipating will come up just with the mere discussing part of the project? just so that you can head some of those off at the pass? Or do you think that this group will basically do just fine once you've established some basic uh, expectations for discussion? Um, I'm thinking off the top of my head that they might be completely confused because nobody ever asked them for their perspective on why and what's up with you know spending a lot of time visiting everybody of the you know in this in the setting the adults usually give rewards and consequences, so this would be a process that is very new to them, so they may be disoriented they may be disoriented, they may be surprised um they may not have a you may be met with absolute utter silence right because often when kids are surprised by plan B. It's because no one's ever done it with them before. Mm-hmm. And so we are often, so this is interesting because um, some teachers who I've talked with about this would say, I think it's going to be utter chaos. Everybody's going to be talking at once because I've opened up the spigot. Mm-hmm. And others are surprised when what they are actually greeted with is absolute silence by kids who are blown away by the fact that you're asking them what's up. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess we'll find out, won't we? Yes. By the way, as I, as you were talking, I was thinking there could be people listening to this um, thinking, who has time to do this? A full-class discussion about discussing and then discussions about going to the bathroom too much and socializing too much and difficulties settling down uh, after lunch. You've got to be kidding me. Look how much time that's going to take. But here's the amazing thing. One of probably the main reason you want to have these discussions with your class is because they're having trouble getting a lot done in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually not that worried about the time. I actually find that collaborative problem solving saves time. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do have to put the time in to save the time, no question about it. But um, m- most people, it's pretty persuasive when they recognize how much time they're losing by not having the discussion in the first place. 
Yes, and because this is an intervention class, I have to prioritize what's really important. And if they are not able to access our intervention, then there's nothing getting done. Right. So, so you might as well put the time in. Yes. Otherwise, nothing gets done anyways. Right. Keep going. I think this is um, this is as real life as it gets. So I'm mm -hmm. delighted that you've called in. Um, uh, can I mention a few uh, other things you wanted to bring up? Because there were some things about what you had written me that intrigued me in particular. Should I talk about those, or did you want to talk a little bit about Plan B with some of the individual kids in your class? Why don't you bring up what what you thought might be interesting? Well, in in the information that you sent along, um, among the things that struck me was your statement that um, you said, I must be doing the process wrong, Plan B you're talking about, because overall I haven't seen a lot of effective change. And then you had some subtopics, some, some results of that, some byproducts of that, like my co-teacher and I have fallen back on the rewards and consequences methods just because we are familiar with them. Mm -hmm. That's very common. Um, I find that when people, it takes a while to get good at Plan B. It takes mostly practice. And I find that a lot of, and I've always said that the first two Plan Bs are the hardest, the first one because it probably didn't go very well, and the second one because the first one probably didn't go very well. Right. But um, the tenth can still be quite difficult. And um, there is, in many people, so you're, you're, you're saying something that I hear frequently, to fall back on what I would call the familiar. And the vast majority of people who've been trained as teachers are very familiar with the reward and punishment interventions, right. and um, we don't want to fall back on them too quickly. We want to get good at Plan B. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously a standing offer that you have from me, if you can ever call in, I know that you're in a different time zone, if you can call in during the program any other time and you're running into trouble in doing Plan B, mm -hmm. um, instead of having you fall back on the familiar, call in and we'll coach you through it. Okay. Um, among the consequences, and I'm reading from your uh, information that you provided once again, uh, we've done the stay-after-class method, which involves giving one to five minutes after class to hold the kids for discussion and just establish a consequence for disruptions. Um, you know, uh, we have done the stamps for rewarding and completed warm-up. Um, the, the big question that I'm always asking people is, how's that working? Oh, it doesn't work. Well, I mean, that's what I usually hear. I mean, I was thinking, geez, I hadn't asked that of you before, so I could be surprised, and you might, although it's unlikely because the reason that you were in touch is because it wasn't going so well. And so these are things that you were doing when they weren't going so well. Mm -hmm. um, my attitude is there's no real downside to practicing Plan B because what people are doing before they come around to Plan B, and this is why they're coming around to Plan B, what they were doing before wasn't working very well in the first place. Mm -hmm. My attitude, what have you got to lose? Mm -hmm. Not much. No. Let's, um, oh, now, now one thing that you had also written that may be re relevant to what we were talking about in the beginning of the program you're saying, maybe I'm not specific enough when I ask the student what's up with a behavior, such as disruptions, off-task, out-of-seat, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Did the content at the beginning of the program help you, because you were asking for help, homing in on specific behaviors? Um, you want to be less behavior-oriented and more unsolved problem-oriented. 
but I'm hoping that what you heard at the beginning of the program helped you be as specific as possible with the unsolved problem that you're throwing into the neutral observation of the empathy step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I took notes. <laughs> Excellent. And, of course, since this is archived, you can always listen to it over again. Yes. So those are the things that I was um, particularly intrigued by uh, in what you had written. Let's turn to the things, to other things that you had called about. Okay. Um, we have about, by the way, about four minutes left in the program, which I, the, this, this, I'm always wishing there was more time because these discussions are always fascinating. But um, we can always have you call back again. But okay. just know that there's about four minutes left. Okay. Well, you know what? I feel like you gave me enough to start and to experiment with. Good. Uh, so I, I think I'm good for now, and, and I'm sure more questions will come up as I as I incorporate these things that we talked about and that I heard um, in practice, and I'll have more specific questions. If you do, you number one, you know how to email me. Um, just if you want to, once again, use the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website, but you are, of course, always welcome to phone in anytime you want, and um, we'll, we'll put you on, and we'll get any additional questions that you have answered, and um, we'll keep having fun. Yes, thank you. So uh, I want to compliment you for your bravery, um, and good luck. Thank you very much. appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, and it does take bravery uh, to do this. Um, it is um, so easy to um, return to what's familiar. And um, outside of Plan B, returning to what's familiar is just returning to a consequence-based approach because it's familiar to you. And inside of Plan B, it's early. It's easy to turn back to our solutions rather than really sticking with trying to find out what the kid's concern or perspective is. Uh, somebody uh, who sent an email during the program is writing, you know what, sometimes the teacher is doing plan B just fine, but you may just have some really tough kids. Um, got that right. Um, tough kids, what tough kid means to me is the problems have been around for a real, the unsolved problems have been around for a really long time. And unsolved problems that have been around for a really long time sometimes take a really long time to solve. And even if they take a really long time to solve, that's better than leaving them unsolved for even longer. Um, we don't want to keep repeating the mistakes of our predecessors or ourselves and impose solutions on kids. I think that's how we lose kids, and the kids who we lose are the ones whose unsolved problems have been around for a really long time, and who, because problems haven't been getting solved, the problems pile up. So not only do we have really tough problems to solve, the pile of unsolved problems is stacked pretty high. No time like the press start chipping away at the pile and start making sure that we've got continuity in addressing those unsolved problems that don't go away overnight, that don't get solved usually after just one plan B. Once again, I could have called this incremental problem solving, progressive problem solving, 
solving tough problems happens over time, incrementally and progressively. Of course, that email I started the day with reminds us of why we're doing it. Stakes are high for challenging kids. We keep losing a lot of them. But if you've been listening to this program, you're really getting familiar with the ingredients that it takes to stop losing them and to make things better. Uh, Next week is school vacation week in a lot of places, but there will be a collaborative problem-solving at school program, so I hope you'll join in then. Uh, Until then, thanks for joining in today. These are such fun shows to do. Talk next week.